picture this. You're in a conversation with someone, and while you were talking, something distracts you. Maybe you see something. Maybe your phone buzzes. As you seek to get back on track with what you were talking about, you shake your head once and say, I'm sorry, I totally forgot what I was saying. Your conversation partner looks at you sheepishly in a way that says, so did I. It turns out that neither of you were listening to the conversation anymore. You have lost your train of thought. This is one of many fascinating foibles of human short-term memory, a type of memory that is nimble and agile on the one hand, but not always reliable, for the same reason. It reminds me of that actor, you know, that guy, he was in that movie with, with what's-her-name? You know her. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Ah, it'll come back to me. Hello and welcome to Cool Time Life. I'm Steve Prentice. Each of our Cool Time Life podcasts focuses on a topic dealing with people, productivity, technology, and life, and each offers ideas and facts that you need to know about to thrive in today's busy world. An index of our podcast is available at steveprentice.com under the podcast link. Mind and memory. They together are the hidden force that allow us to do what we need to do while planning for what needs to be done next. Over hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors gradually were able to pack on more cortex material, surviving predators and the elements and each other, by being able to think critically rather than simply react through instinct. This led to the use of tools and eventually the ultimate achievements, agriculture and medicine, two highly effective ways of staving off early death. Like every other element of our human bodies, what we get to enjoy and use today has been through a long process of iterative improvement. So, let's talk. I mean, really, let's look at the act of talking. As humans evolved, so did our capacity to communicate with increased sophistication and nuance. Evolving in lockstep with vocabulary came ritual. This was a dance of timing which allowed conversation to move between people through the use of facial gestures, body language, and awareness of verbal space that had been woven into the art of good conversation. And yes, a great conversation has a self-regulated timing. People who are good at it know when they can step in and take over the reins of the chat, and they also know when to hand them back. A good example of the importance of this natural rhythm can be seen in those moments where it fails. For me, this is sometimes when I'm talking on the phone and we descend into that goodbye phase. A missed second of timing and the closing ritual of thanks, have a good day, okay, thanks, you too, okay, bye, makes the words bump into each other in exactly the same way as two people who try to pass through a door at the same time and end up having to dance around each other. It moves from an unconscious act to a conscious fumbling one. So conversation is more than just the words. It is truly a dance. We listen to the rhythm and we pick up on it and we join it. There is a dovetailing of personalities that blends into this live event. And this is even more apparent when there are more than two people in conversation, like friends meeting over dinner. They will each pick up on the rhythm and they unconsciously seek to align their emotions and their ideas to the conversation pace and activity. Now, compare that to email. Over the last few centuries, people have done a lot of communicating by mail, delivered first by messengers and then by a postal service, and then most recently by email. Correspondence by mail is a very different ritual. It has none of the subtleties of body language and rhythm. Instead, it is a formalized and solitary activity. You have to give the letter your full attention. Then comes the act of opening the envelope and preparing to interpret a page or pages of written prose using a voice that has to be conjured up in your own mind and in most cases read from start to finish as a single action. Email is no different. 
Sure, it's digital, and opening the envelope is done by clicking on it with a mouse, but the formality and the solitary nature of the act of reading is the same. Somewhere along the way in the late 1990s, email became the preferred communication method. This is intriguing because, as a communication method, it was not ideal. For a start, mail takes longer to create, to type out, than it would be to speak those same words. Secondly, the words can be misconstrued because they lack the context and emotional confirmation that voice tonality brings. To compensate for this deficiency, we found ourselves having to write more emails back and forth simply to clarify what we intended to say in the first place and resorting to emojis to represent that missing emotional component. By forcing the flowing complexity of conversational structure into the sterile medium of an email, we collectively wasted millions of hours basically every day. So why did email become the preferred medium of communication despite these many shortcomings? You could argue that it was an issue of distance. Email allowed us to talk to anyone anywhere in the world, but so did the telephone. Email offered the ability to send attachments, which was certainly handy, but the reason for its popularity could be assigned instead to the very fact that it removed conversational intimacy from the equation. It became the fast food of communication, devoid of substance and intellectual nutrition, but easy to deal with and always fast. Also, a live conversation requires a degree of emotional exposure. You put yourself out there as a person. That takes energy and also makes you vulnerable to losing control over the conversation itself. An email is much more controllable. You create it, you package it, and you flush it off your desk and out of your life with the send button. If you do not wish to confront an incoming email message, you can let it sit in your inbox for a while or claim that you never received it. Again, avoiding any emotional involvement in this avoidance by blaming the technology. At first glance, it is curious how humans who seem to communicate so naturally tend to shy away from doing so and choose email instead. But it is easily explained as part of the fear that we have for expending energy and for that emotional vulnerability I mentioned. It's another part of the unknown that we all collectively fear. As the COVID-19 pandemic descended upon us, we collectively started to use video chat technologies like Zoom much more than ever. But despite it being full two-way visual communication, most people opted to attend with cameras off, using the raised hand icon when they wanted to say something. So, enter the immersive age post-2020. I am hopeful that the 2020s and beyond will recapture the fluid dynamics of live conversation despite the fact that more people than ever will be working from a distance as part of a distributed team, as my friend Alberto Salvera described in episode 42 of this podcast. I see the potential for vast improvement in communication and inefficient use of time if organizations became more proactive in deploying the following three techniques to their teams. And by deploying, I mean not just making them available, but providing the training and support to make them the new standard. Technique number one, video chat 2.0. Instead of being isolated in individual boxes, we can recapture a sense of togetherness, a vital component of conversation through the use of simple tools like immersive common backgrounds in which everyone on a Zoom call shares the same background as if they were indeed sitting in the same room or at the same location. Video chat also invites us to use virtual environments such as Toucan.events and Verbella, where people can coexist in more of a room-type scenario, rather than, once again, those squares across the top of a Zoom screen, or as legless cartoons in a metaverse. In essence, video chat is evolving beyond its first iteration to become something more whole. Like all other technologies, it needs time to grow into itself, and that self will be immersive, fluid, and engaging. Option two is the Slack model. 
I love Slack. I think it's a fabulous replacement for email because it eliminates the formality of email and puts in its place the fluidity of natural conversation conveniently assorted by project. Having people in a Slack channel feels to me like having them across the table from me. The conversation just happens naturally. It's context without pretext. And having each conversation separated into its own channel eliminates all of that mental sorting that happens when all of your traditional emails arrive in your one inbox. There's a great deal of mental dancing that has to happen when reviewing emails from different people all in that same container. And that's one of the hidden costs of email that nobody ever talks about. Slack, of course, is not the only brand in this sector. There are many others built into office environments like Microsoft Teams and WebEx, and standalones like WhatsApp, and ones built into other productivity apps like Monday and Trello. The point is the Slack model, as I call it, reinvigorates the positive emotional connection and becomes a far more time-efficient communication method. A method of live communication, but one that can still benefit from an asynchronous platform. The analogy I like to use is that email is like sitting down in a chair, grabbing a letter opener and starting to open a collection of paper envelopes to read what is inside each. Slack is like sitting at a table with others in a shared open space, and whenever you are ready, you simply say to one or more people across the table, oh, and another thing. Now, option number three of our three options here is video messaging. Again, this defeats the time-consuming act of writing an email and also eliminates the sterility of email text, replacing it with your face, your voice, and your personality as a video. It eliminates the need to schedule a meeting or to make a phone call. One example is Loom, L-O-O-M, an app where you essentially press one button and it records a video message of your face and your voice and sends that as a video message link to your recipients. Although it is still a unidirectional message like email and not a conversation like Slack, it at least conveys personality and is a whole lot easier to compose. Just talk and send. Much quicker, much easier. If your recipient requires a transcript, that can be done too. The point is these technologies now exist and they work. They provide new options for communicating that are far superior and more engaging than the emails and meetings of years past. They provide a sense of human connection that has been squeezed out of work life in the past two decades. This removal of human communication has affected other parts of the human-to-human -human work relationship, making true interactions more difficult and effectively isolating ourselves from each other through bubbles of text. Getting back on track. The point to all of this is to keep one's train of thought on track. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it is very easy to lose your focus, which is precisely what happens when emails arrive. It leaves us in a permanent state of recovery, constantly working at subpar performance as we try to regain the focus that we had prior to the email interruption. As I mentioned in my new book, it's like trying to run waist-deep in a swimming pool. The friction is just too hard, you can't run. And this happens to all of us every day. As we evolve into this new era of distributed work, the legacy of the pandemic-induced lockdown period will be that connecting from home by video chat was physically possible, albeit not a great initial experience. The next step is to mature this ability into its own cultural media form, leaving email in the corner with the IBM Selectric typewriter and the telex machine, and getting back to the type of natural, informal communication that our minds are designed for. So there you have it, my little podcast on Slack and the opportunities for reconnection that a new generation of communication apps offers us all. If you have a comment about this podcast, you can drop me a line through the contact form at steveprentice.com where you can find my social media links as well. 
A full listing of past episodes is available at steveprentice.com slash podcast. I try to keep the episodes evergreen so that the concepts do not get dated too quickly. So check them out and download whatever feels good. My new book, The Future of Workplace Fear, How Human Reflex Stands in the Way of Digital Transformation, is now out and available at Amazon and elsewhere. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Thank you.